There you go. Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning and welcome to the program. I was in the lift the other day and there was two girls, young girls, you know, 21, two, that's young, um, talking and they said, uh, oh, yeah, and Alistair's, you know, he's 90% vegan now. I didn't say anything, but I thought, how can you be 90% your other vegan? <laughs> she said, yes, he's there. He's 90% vegan. So he's working. He's just, there's something he hasn't been able to kick, Kel. There's something he hasn't been able to kick, so he's just not quite there. But he's 90% vegan, which is, yeah, it was very reassuring to know. G'day, this is Macca. Hi, g'day, Macca. It's uh, Michael. It's nine degrees here. There's a light fog. And it's uh, one o'clock in the morning in Samara. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Michael, I'm all right, mate. One o'clock in the morning. Um, It's uh, seven o'clock in the morning here, sort of. Uh, Where's Samara, Michael, for the rest of us? It's in Russia. It's on the Volga, a lovely town on the Volga River, about 600 kilometres east of Moscow. There you go. Have you met the Volga boatman? Have you, Michael? Uh, quite a few, actually. We uh, <laughs> were out on a boat last night, and the, actually the Russian boats are hilarious. They, uh, they look like, I said to someone, oh, they look like aeroplanes. Uh, you know, they're all made of aluminium and riveted together, and they said, well, actually, that's exactly what they are. They've come out of the local uh, aeroplane factory um, when everything crashed and they had to build something to make some dollars. <laughs> yeah, the the Volga Batman both the Volga Batman uh, is a little song you always used to learn when you played the guitar. Da 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 da. You learned to play that, and my guitar teacher used to call it the Volga Batsman. But um, uh, anyway, <laughs> Michael, tell me what are you doing in uh, Samara? Tell us what do you do and what are you doing? Oh, okay. So I'm here actually test flying a plane. They they still build flying boats here in in this little part of Russia, uh, which is kind of unusual because nowhere else in the world are they still building um, twin-engine uh, you know, flying boats that have uh, six seats. And they uh, you know, pretty amazing craft, so you're doing that. But the thing I wanted to let you know is I was so pleased. I was uh, out with a bunch of Russian people for lunch uh, today and the staff in the cafe uh, very proudly came up to say, that uh, you know they'd had the soccer here recently, and they'd had people from all over the world come to watch the soccer, and lots of people were drinking and getting loud and obnoxious. But the nicest people of all were the Australians, and it was really nice to hear because often we uh, we hear the other way around that you know maybe we've been a bit loudish and making a bit too much noise, but they were very complimentary and uh, yeah, which was which was nice to hear. Michael, and, uh, I'm, ju- I'm just, I'm twigging, I'm just twigging, Michael. You're the bloke who flew around in the little seaplane around the world, and I've talked to you months ago, months and months ago. Yes. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's me. And you, and you were horrified at how small we are, my little seaplane was, so yep. I was trying to find a better, bigger one. <laughs> so, well... A lot, lot of things I ought to talk to you about, but you mentioned cafes, and I always talk when people ring, although I didn't, I didn't talk to Barb. Kel, Barb rang this morning from... Um, Turkey uh, this morning, but um, I didn't ask her how the coffee. How's the coffee in um, Samara, Russia, uh, Michael? Oh, it's great. They've got they've got coffee, uh, you know espresso machines, and uh, wow. they, they know how to make good coffee. Although most most people are drinking tea here, and really um, strong scented tea with spice in it. Uh, but the um, mate, I've got to tell you one of the things here that I the, they eat tomatoes here like like uh, we would eat a peach. And they're the best tomatoes I've oh. had since I was a kid. These big, rich, red tomatoes that it, uh, really kind of 
Yeah, brought back memories. Like, what it, happened to our tomatoes? Yeah, what happened to tomatoes? Actually, ask the scientists. Uh, uh, my friend, we used to have a friend that used to correspond with the program, and he called them bull tomatoes. And I said, why do you call them bull tomatoes? And he said, well, because you can knock a bull down with them. They're that hard. Um, and they sort of bred the, <laughs> bred the, bred the taste and the uh, flavour out of tomatoes, but they're tomatoes you can ship from Samara, Russia to, you know, to wherever to um yeah to Warrnambool and there'll be no you know they'll still survive but um as far as having that sounds because there's nothing nicer than a beautiful tomato Michael in a salad or something but uh, wow dear well idea. they're actually cut like literally cutting them up like we cut up fruit you know like we might cut up an apple and put it on a plate they're cutting up tomato at every meal and just putting it there in the meal to share and uh, yeah just just delicious but um. There's, of course, a lot of borscht as well. And uh, I've just, for the first time ever, had um, horse sausage. What a? Horse. Like, um, oh, horse, as in wings. Horse salami. Yeah. yeah they, as in, you know, yeah, I know, it was kind of a bit weird. But um, it was actually tasty, but it was not something I'd probably look for again. <laughs> and did you have any borscht? But, uh, Oh yeah, we say, in fact they can't help. They they bring borscht out at uh, every opportunity. Oh. So lunch and dinner, there's always a bit of borscht, and it is fantastic. Oh dear, Michael. So you're <laughs> over there. What you, you're over there doing? What you you're piloting planes for them or something? Are you or what? Yeah, I've I've been test flying a couple of planes uh, over here and uh, writing an article about one, but also uh, just having a look around at what's happening. It's fascinating. And, uh, I don't know if you remember, but on my trip, I wasn't able to get into Russia. I never got permission. But uh, amazing how you can fly in uh, on a commercial flight. And once you're here, um, there's amazingly friendly Russian uh, folks. Uh, we're flying around the countryside having a ball, and it's, uh, it's just beautiful. So they build these planes there in uh, Samara, do they? Yes, they do. Because uh, uh, yeah, while the rest of the world kind of have moved on from flying boats. I don't think anyone told them here, and uh, the local university still actually researches flying boat design, and there are three different companies here on one airfield uh, building all different sizes of uh, flying boats because there's so much water here. I mean, the Volga is the longest river in Russia. Sorry, in uh, Europe, it's 3,500 kilometres long. But, of course, when you get up into Siberia, uh, often there aren't air, uh, airports, but there's lots and lots of water. So, you know, they're a great way to get around. Yes, Michael, uh, it's nice to talk to you this morning. There was something else I was going to say, but I can't remember it. But um, we'll have to catch up again. Uh, I, I, that's right, I was going to tell you, it's World Helicopter Day today. I don't know what that means, but uh, it's on my little list of things here. World Helicopter Day, I don't know what that means. but um, Well, um, well, of course, your mate Dick uh, loves flying his helicopter around. and It's funny, I was just reading... Um, I was just reading the Sir Hubert Wilkins book, uh, The Last Explorer. Did right. you? Yep. Did you read that by yep. uh, Simon Nash? Yes. Fantastic book. Yep. About an Australian that everyone should know more about, and uh, Dick's um, the registration of Dick's uh, Cessna Caravan is S H W. Sir Hubert Wilkins. Sir Hugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I didn't know until today. So I thought that was an amazing coincidence. And um, Wilkins was here in Russia in the 1920s. Uh, f- uh, filming uh, newsreels uh, amazing of, man, of the wasn't devastation of the famine. Yeah, amazing man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, t- I was just thinking today, it's an amazing coincidence that I was reading that chapter about Sir Hubert being in Russia for the famine, and um, you know, here I am. And they are also complaining about a drought here as well. Michael, um, they've had, know, they've had some hot weather there too, haven't they? Yeah, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
All right, Michael, okay, good well, on you. It's great to have a chat, Macca. Yeah. Uh, great to have a chat, and we'll, um, we'll catch you next time. We'll keep, we'll keep in touch. Good on you, Michael. Thanks, mate. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. It's Billy from Perth. Oh, g'day, Billy. Oh, Billy, yeah, I, ta- I talked to you. You rang after the program last week. I did, actually, yes. I uh, got the West Australian time and uh, missed you. Uh, missed us. And you, you, were in the, you were in the high run? Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. We pulled out of Northern last Monday and done a big convoy of 22 road trains across Australia with the hay for the farmers at Condoblin. Good on you. Uh, I'm just singing that song. Well, I pulled out of Northern Road. Yeah, we could do <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm in Campbelltown at the moment waiting to get a load home to Perth. But, uh, yeah, it's, it was a hell of an experience, a very emotional experience, actually watching all the farmers with their hay and their families and so forth. It was a, you know, beautiful thing to do. I'll say, it's a, well, it's a lovely sight when you see, I saw the same thing at Cobar about five years ago. And when you yeah. see those trucks just parked along the side of the road with hay as far as you can see, Billy, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, fulfilling thing. Billy, tell me about yourself. Oh, I'm an old truck driver from way back. I've been at it 50 years now and, uh, yeah, should retire but uh, can't get a pension, so I just keep working, mate. You know, I work for a beautiful family and uh, they give me a lovely truck and they put me on this run and, yeah, it was one of the greatest things I've ever done. Lots of people, uh, Billy. So how long did that take? About five days, did it? Uh, we left on the Monday morning and we rocked into Condobolin uh, Thursday night and we did the procession downtown on the on the Friday morning. But all the way across, people just lined the streets and cheered us on and it was very heartwarming. It really was. A, a great thing to be a part, for, a part of, Bill. Oh, mate, I'd do it again in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, maybe it'll have to, Bill, if this drought keeps going <laughs> like it is, because I know over there you've had quite a, quite a bit of rain, and certainly in uh, parts of uh, Western Australia. Yeah, but I've always been over here when it's raining, and I've been missing out on it myself, but <laughs> never mind. So, Billy, tell me this. So how do you um, how do you go about getting a, a, a load back? Is there a way you make a phone call and say, look, I'm going back to WA, um, or you, is it a company thing or what? Oh, it's a company thing, Macca. We've got uh, depots in Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, Kalgoorlie, Perth, so we've got freight moving all the time, so we just sit here and wait till the freight comes in and away we go again. There you go. Well, um, Billy, um, I suppose you've got plenty of uh, memories in your phone, but it's a lovely thing to be part of, isn't it, to see the people and also just to know. I think the nicest thing about life, you know, is when you do something for someone else, you know, the the older you get, I think that's what it is. When you're a kid, you want presents. Oh, I've got a present. You count your presents. But as you get older, you realise that it's not really getting presents. It's it's giving something of yourself or or something that you can help somebody with. That's the best feeling in the world, Bill. Yeah, exactly right, Mac. Yeah, as I said, I'd do it all again if I was asked to, for sure. Well, as I said, you probably will be, Bill. So, <laughs> so, so keep the um, truck gassed up. Mate, what do you drive? I've got a Kenworth, mate, a 404 Kenworth. All right. Well, nice to talk to you, Billy. I'm sorry I missed you last week. You just rang uh, 10 minutes after the program, but um, that's the story. Never mind. Never mind. We got together. That was good. I hope to talk to you again soon. You keep in touch, Bill. All right. I certainly will. God bless you, mate. See you, mate. Bye. Morning, Macca. G'day. Good morning, Dr. Ross. Oh, g'day, Dr. Ross. How are you? Very, very well. What's happening? Uh, Drifting down snow in Bathurst. It's not settling, but... uh, a good breeze and plenty of little snowflakes. Oh, wow. You're dry in Bathurst, of course, aren't you? Very. 
Yeah, you, you, but uh, you, we join the rest of the state. We've got to stay in concert with the rest. Yes, and uh, the cold doesn't help, I suppose. Do you shear at this time of year, Dr. Ross, or what happens? No, no, we'll wait till November or mm. early December, but um, I know a lot of the Merino boys around here are shearing at present. I, I, just, um, I just spoke to... Um, uh, it was a bill at Coomer, and he says he puts little coats on them. Uh, he got his sheep after, when he because he sure a couple of weeks ago, I think, or a month ago. Yeah, probably wise at this time of the year, particularly as the animals are stressed with the drought, and um, a lot of people around here are finding that the stress of shearing is killing the sheep itself, not the actual cold afterwards. Uh-huh. And um, quite a few are losing, uh, you know, sheep on the board, so to speak, and and just uh, shearing the dead sheep so they get the money for the wool, mm. which is a good price at present, so uh, sensible going. It's um, it's sort of nice to see the snow, probably not in this season when there's no grass around and things, but um, it's nice to nice to know you, you're getting a proper winter, but, um, uh, yeah, in this circumstance, it's not good. No, but I, I think the community spirit that I've experienced in the last uh, six or eight weeks has been incredible. The support that we're getting from the urbans, as we fondly refer to them as. I'm and, a, that's uh, me. I'm an urban. <laughs> we do have other terms, but <laughs> urban's probably the politest. But uh, the support's great. I mean, for example, um, farmers that are associated with rugby clubs, if they could get away from their farm last night, had uh, free tickets to the Bledisloe Cup um, <laughs> and so, things like that. You know, just yeah. something to lift the, the spirits. And uh, Mudgy um, Jockey Club is, is running a, a free race meet in a week or so's time for the farmers. That's Nick, just two examples locally. That's next, uh, yeah, I think that's the second, uh, second yeah. of September, and that's, uh, yeah, the, the bales are, you know, they're going to get 200 bales and they've got 1,000 bales, I think, of uh, hay and stuff. And I think that community spirit really lifts farmers as much as anything. I mean, it is pretty dismal on the land at present. Uh, it will turn around, but um, the, the support that we're getting from the communities, and I, I guess the thing is, as long as the the longer the drought goes, the more that communities themselves are going to be affected. Mm. I mean, we've only got to think they're going to run out of water soon too, um, unless they start. And I mean, Coonabarabran on what is a level six water yeah. restriction. Yeah. These sorts of things are going to bite in the larger communities too in the in the not too distant future. Yes. Um, shopkeepers and so on like that are doing it hard in town because uh, the money just isn't flowing. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a real community coming together. I mean, uh, our local mini show, if you like, the Burger Show, was going to not run a few weeks ago, but they decided, right, let's give it a <coughs> give it a thrash. And you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's not me. It's my guest. All <laughs> oh, right. He's a doc- um, he's a doctor too. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Good morning, Dimitri. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The the Burger Show. It, it uh, it's on again next Saturday, and uh, you know it'd be great to actually get the the local farmers from there just to get together, have a chinwag. Um, maybe show off a sheep if they've got one uh, or enter their daughters in the Miss Show Girl contest. You know, it's all good fun and it gets you off the farm for an hour or two and uh, yeah. it brings the community together. I think, I think that's the point of a drought. That's the important thing about all of this. Uh, Tony rang this morning from Quinlow and he was carting manure from a feedlot and he said, you know, the only thing that's really going well is the feedlot because they've still got some grain or something. But he said... Mm. He said his favourite thing to do was camp drafting, and he said we can't do it. He said, and the mental health of the whole place is a whole lot of camp drafters 
around the place, but they can't get cattle because of the drought. So, and it's you know when they can get a day where they go to a camp draft and enjoy themselves and whatever, it's it's just good for the psyche, isn't it? And oh, and, very and, much. And that's what happens in a drought. Not so much. Well, it is you know it's the it's the physical of the drought, but it's all those, those ancillary things that work around it that that are just as important. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky. I've just just had some bales delivered, and I've just put one out for the cattle. And um, just about to grab one for the sheep. And I think, uh, you know, when you've got people in the bush telegraph works well as far as who's got feed and where it's got been going to come from uh, is, a, is a wonderful mechanism. And I think that is what it, rural life is about. It's about community. And, uh, and if that is ever destroyed, Australia's in peril. Yeah, exactly. And country towns and, and city alike and us urbans um, have got a role to play as well. Listen, yep. <clears throat> Dr. Ross, I thought I'd share this with you. This comes from my mate um, Jim Hurley. He said um, uh, and last week we were talking about butchers and sawdust and cuts of meat and stuff like that. Mm. He said we had, a family, um, <clears throat> we had a family butcher shop here in Kyogle dating back to the 1930s. <clears throat> it was called Croker's apparently. One of the um, sons, Jock, he served a lady one day with sausages and she returned the next day because <clears throat> you know how a butcher shop used to have sawdust and ferns mm. and stuff in Anyway, she, she served, he served uh, sausages to this lady and the next day she came back hopping mad um, and she said, look, one end of those sausages had meat and the other end had sawdust in it. And, and Jock, but Jock, this is Kenny Scott, and he explained it. He said, look, madam, these days with the pressure of competition from the supermarket, it's, it's very difficult to make both ends meet. <laughs> so that was... Very good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, great little town, Kyogle, by the way. It, it is. Uh, Top little was- joint. Yeah, it was the inspiration for me going to rural general practice, actually. How come? Well, there was a, there was a um, GP there called Bags Harvey who uh, had actually left his practice as a, an orthopaedic surgeon in Brisbane and taken over his uh, father-in-law's practice in Kyogle. And I went up there with a mate of mine and um, was inspired to, to, to try and live the sort of life that Bags had. There you go, and you've sort of achieved it, Dr Ross. Oh, sort of, yeah. I'll probably never be as good as Bags was, but... I'll give it a go. All right. Dr. Ross, great I, to talk to you, mate. Sorry. A pleasure. And uh, just to say that rugby isn't dead, I'm the doctor for the Australian Indigenous team, which is touring America in about a couple of weeks' time. And I was busy packing my medical bag last night for it and uh, looking forward to two weeks and six matches in, in the USA with the uh, Invitational Indigenous team from Australia. So. And, and, you'll, and you'll, of course, ring us from over there, won't you? I certainly shall, if right. I can work out how to work the phones. Are the Yellow Boys, do any of the Yellow Boys go with you as uh, mentors no, no, or anything like no. that? Well, there's a lot of support all around. Uh, Kirtley Beale is apparently sending us a, a, a go, 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 go hard or go home message. Um, we've got the support, actually, of the North Queensland Cowboys. They're training, the boys are training in uh, Townsville for a couple of days before we take off. And um, the North Queensland Cowboys and Jonathan um, Thurston, etc., are all supporting them up there. They're using their training facilities and so on like that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting tour, boys from all over Australia. All right, Dr. Ross, keep in touch, mate. And uh, <clears throat> I can see that drifting snow at your place. It'd be lovely to be there. <laughs> Thank you. See you, mate. Keep well. Bye. Bye. My guest this morning is uh, Dimitri Dimitriou. He's... Uh, a cardiologist been sailing the world. Uh, Dimitri, I've got all SMSs here for, about you. Um, Dimitri was my tutor at Sydney Hospital. His accent is almost gone, says Dr. Julian. <laughs> Greetings to you, says Dennis. 
uh, from Circular Key, Dennis's GP, apparently. So you're well connected, uh, Dimitri. Um, tell me about um, you. You sort of retired or semi-retired now, or what? Semi-retired. Sorry, yeah, semi. Yeah, semi-retired. I uh, occasionally go to remote areas and uh, would work for a month or two a year. Uh, I've been up to Broome and Cairns, and uh, I, I see it as, uh, although I get paid and everything, I, I see it as giving something back. Mm. And I've uh, done some Aboriginal medicine, and my ex-South African background where I uh, learnt uh, Pretty good cardiology under a guy called John Barlow, who has a disease named after him, uh, came into the fore, because I'm one of the old doctors that can still use a stethoscope. <laughs> it's uh, it's not very fashionable nowadays to do that. How come? Well, how come isn't it fashionable? Well, we now have ultrasounds and oh, right. uh, modern technology, and uh, people are losing the old skills. <laughs> It's it's kind of like the sextant at sea. No one can use the sextant anymore. <laughs> was it South African who did the first heart transplant? Wasn't it, it was. Yeah. Uh, it it was Barnard. Yeah, and was that was South Africa a leading area? Was it of, of cardiology? I, I think days? I think they were just a bit more daring than everyone else. I mm-hmm. think the whole world was ready to do transplants, and uh, Barnard was just a bit more daring and prepared mm-hmm. to go first. There you go. Uh, which is uh, yeah, a very South African way of doing things. And now it's almost de rigueur, isn't it? Um, heart transplants. Um, and um, we used to get always get calls um, here from there was a couple who you know heart transplant number 91 used to ring me and another one yeah they'd just they'd ring up in the morning and tell me how they were going and things like that yes, yes. they have a superb setup at St Vincent's uh, and uh, really a dedicated team over there how, would... how's our heart health because it was <clears throat> is it still the number one killer of, of uh, people yeah cardiovascular disease still is uh, there's simple things that have uh, made a big difference uh, if people don't smoke uh, exercise reasonably vigorously for half an hour a day and uh, just be careful not to overdo uh, uh, saturated fats but uh, to still eat a reasonable diet. You know, it's I used to always tell my patients, nothing's banned, but you should only have the naughty stuff once a week. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, yes, there will be fashions with diets, but uh, the fundamental dietary advice is to try and have... Uh, two or three meat-free days with uh, beans and lentils, which are not fashionable but very cheap and very healthy, Uh, fish once or twice a week, and uh, lean cuts of meat. And we're very lucky in Australia that uh, our beef is lean because it's out on the paddocks rather than grain-fed in a barn. Uh, And, uh, you know, I know Wagyu beef is very fashionable, but it's not that healthy. It's better to have leaner meat, and and that is our standard uh, meat, and our standard uh, lamb is is actually already very lean. So I think uh, we also have noticed a a dropping death rate from vascular disease, so we're obviously getting it right. Mm. Um, We also now have much more effective medication for controlling cholesterol. Um, and uh, this is improving every day. Uh, you've, you've seen a great change, of course. You've been a doctor for a good while, and you've seen a, a great change in how we deal with. Uh, how, how, do, how does a doctor react to that? From you know, when you're a you, you know eighteen, twenty year old, and you you've got a certain set of uh, parameters, and then all of a sudden, fifty years later or sixty years later, it's almost all changed. Like the stethoscope, all that's gone. You've got to yes. You keep learning, don't you? Yes, yes. I I had a great 
ride in cardiovascular medicine. We started out uh, when I was a young uh, medical student. The death rate from open-heart surgery was very high. It was well above 50%. Now the death rate from cardiovascular surgery uh, is lower than it is for an appendicectomy because you have such a good team around you. Mm. Uh, When... uh, I was a young doctor. Replacing a valve was very difficult. Now a valve can be replaced uh, without even opening the heart. We can put in valves with uh, stents without even opening the heart. Uh Um, We can fix coronaries without opening the heart. Uh, It's uh, an amazing ride. Uh, We can do electrophysiologic things and fix the electrical system. Um, and, And all this was not available when I was a young doctor. So it's been a fantastic ride. Um, I think medicine is an incredibly good career if you actually want to help people. If you want to do it for your parents' sake or because you happen to be bright or because you want to make money, or you can do please, yeah, please go and become a stockbroker or a banker or, or a something lawyer. else or a lawyer. <laughs> yes, just stay out of medicine. <laughs> yeah, but I if could, you, yes. we, we can research, um, we can uh, elaborate on that, but I won't. Um, <laughs> And tell me about uh, your sailing. Um, was it hard just to give away your – because you obviously when you're involved in something like um, cardiovascular, um, you're involved in it day in, day out all the time. A bit like my job, you just uh, – you never leave it. Um, and then yes. all of a sudden you're drifting, drifting yes, down yeah. the current. Yeah, th- that, that is absolutely true. I, uh, we bought the boat. Uh, and uh, with an intention of sailing, me and my wife, and my wife worked with me as my uh, technologist, and uh, I kept putting off retirement because I enjoyed my practice so much, uh, and I enjoyed my patients so much. My patients are a very dynamic and fantastic bunch of people I had. And uh, in the end, my wife said to me, I'm quitting because we're getting too old to go sailing around the world and we want to do it. And I just, it kind of brought me down to earth and I actually, uh, she did, she stopped working, boom. And uh, six weeks later, I just said, that's it, I've got to sell the practice and go sailing. And and that's what uh, happened in 2012. There you go. And uh, and I went sailing and my patients all wondered where I'd vanished to and uh, where I'd vanished to was the high seas. There you go. I, a, a doctor friend of mine, a Dr. Kev, um, uh, he was getting on. He was, I don't know, 65, 70. And uh, I said, to you, and he's, he'd bought a farm and he's going to do bits and pieces. And I said, gonna, he said, no, I can't retire. He said, because he's still doing it bits and pieces, you know. But he said that he still had patients that he'd worked with for cardiovascular surgery and stuff. So he said he needed to... He knew them and he knew their veins, I suppose. <laughs> yes. So he, he's kept his hand in. But, you know, I suppose you've got to go sometime, haven't you? Yes, you do. Eventually you become rusty. If you're a surgeon, there's a certain age beyond which your surgical abilities decrease. Yeah. That tends to occur a little younger in surgeons and physicians where you're just relying on uh, your intellectual ability and hopefully you you keep that for a bit longer. But there does come a stage where you fall behind uh, the latest trends and then you need to call a day on it and hand over to younger people. You also need to make room for younger people. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, it's like in the Australian Rugby Union team. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Egan from Aussie Helpers is on the line. Good morning, Brian. 
Ah, morning, mate. Yeah, the story. I haven't heard from you for ages, but I know you're still doing what you do. I, t- I mentioned you last week because when, when Mr. Uh, Smith rang up and said that they were winding down um, his food company, and I remembered that they gave a million dollars to um, Aussie Helpers yeah. some years ago, and I thought, well, gee, that can't be sniffed at, and, and organisations such as yours need that sort of money, don't they? We certainly do, mate. Well, we've been doing that New South Wales Fair for the last six months. I've just come home yesterday. I've been on the road for the last three and a half months in New South Wales. And honestly, I've never seen you know, the bush like. I've never seen people so poor. Some people living in third world conditions, for God's sake. Mm. And you know, you know, our government's got a lot to answer for. It's, mate, it's very hard to describe, but I suppose the best way to describe it would be catastrophic. Yes, Brian, I remember there was another drought because I've been here a little while, as you know, and, and we have droughts in Australia from time to time, but not not of the order of this one. And it's, and it's sort of compounded, hasn't it, in lots of ways because there hasn't been rain. But I remember uh, in Queens, there was a Queensland, we call him the Minister for the Bush, and he yep. said he turned up at a house, uh, some, Tom Burns it was, Tom Burns. Tom yep. Burns, and he turned up somewhere and he said, and he told me the story. He went in and he said, um, um, or do you want a cup of tea or something? And he put the kettle on and he said, I'll go to the fridge. And he went to the fridge and of course there was a bugger all in the fridge. There was nothing in there, nothing in, nothing in the fridge. And, um, and he told a story. Look, this is, look, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, I'm not sure. Um, but um, it's that sort of thing. And Brian, you probably see that all the time because you're going to people's houses, aren't you? Well, that's all we do, mate. Call on farms, properties, whatever you want to call them, mate. We just talk to the people and find out how best we can help them whether it be stock feed, you know, human food. We do so much psychological counselling, mate. Our psychologists have run off their feet. Well, you told um, us about that uh, that service you had. Well, that was the last time I talked to you. When was that? Six months ago? More? Um, yeah. When, when that, that you were starting that sort of um, that phone counselling service? Because as the bloke said this morning, and I don't know if you heard him, he was talking about camp drafting and, he's, and he was carting manure, but he said... What we like to do here, Ian, is camp draft. But he said it's not on at the moment, and he said it's it's all about our men, mental health, and and we like to do that, and but we can't do it, and and that's as important as the drought, isn't it? To make sure people are at least happy and and um, resigned to their fate, but just yeah, getting along with one another. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, our psychologists, without a word of a lie, Ian, they're, they're taking something like sixty calls a week from farmers suffering from anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and, and believe it or not up to date in New South Wales I mean something like like 15 suicides already uh, that's, it, that, it, that's a sad part of it and the other thing Brian that I always think about you know we have a future fund and we always talk about the future fund the financial world talks about the future fund and who's Organising the future fund, but we've never had a we've never had a drought fund, have we? Because this, you know, we get droughts, and sometimes droughts are manageable because they only last for a year or something. But this one's a ripper, as you heard somebody say. That we've been in drought here for six years. Jane said, you know, some of those shies up there around. Keep that dog down. Sit down, Rocky. Sit down. Um. <laughs> that's that's, that's dogs. <laughs> There you go. So uh, I don't know why it'll have to happen, Brian. There'll have to be some sort of infrastructure established where there's a huge 
a huge reservoir of feed, for God's sake, for start, of grain and hay and, and all sorts of other things and water and maybe even, you know, they talk, people have, I've got so many emails here about this, uh, Brian, from all sorts of people about all sorts of ideas and I can't cope, you know, I can't string them all together. I just put them out there. I know there's a, a bloke, an army bloke. Can you just give me the paper there, Kel? And um, I'll get his name again. Uh, but the, the, the government's name to, to coordinate all of this. But it's a bit a bit too little too late, but you've got to do it. You've got to do it well, now. But Well, it is too late now, Maka. We've reached that stage now that we're working with the people from the Mooney oil fields in Queensland to get water from when they drill for oil, for every barrel of oil they bring up, there's 10 barrels of water. Wow. We're trucking that water down in, in road trains, 80,000 litres at a time, down to Tamworth and Gunnedata to, so animals won't die of thirst. I mean, this is something government should have been doing six months ago and they've done bugger all and, and we, we're left with the cost of this. It's costing us a fortune. We've probably spent a million dollars in the last six months just helping people. It's how bad it is. Exactly, and and uh, and there's lots of money around, Brian, because lots of people have got lots of money. I know there's billionaires in Australia, and I often think about if I was a what I'd do if I was if I was a. Do you ever think that? I think what would I, I do I, if I was a billionaire? What would you? Just, I just think about. I think what would I do if I was a billionaire? I'd buy a car and I'd buy another car, and uh, it's a lot of money. So there's a lot of money there. I don't know why. You know, I, when when we. Raise money from people. We've had a we've had a fundraiser here at the ABC last week, and uh, the Red Cross and all sorts of people. But there's lots of money around there. If it was just a money problem, you think it would be easy to solve, uh, Brian? Wouldn't you? Yeah, well, it's not a problem like that. Mate. The, the main criteria is the stock feed and water. They're the main things at the moment, and that's where we're working. You know, we've got about sixteen volunteers on the ground in, in New South Wales, all over the place, and the troubles we're coming across. Are, this shouldn't be happening in this place. You know, it's a bit like Zimbabwe and when Mr Mugabe was in charge over there a few years ago. That's how poor the people are. We're doing food packs for people now, you know, fresh meat and vegetables so they can feed themselves. That's, you know, it shouldn't be like this in Australia. And I don't know why this government has let it get to this stage. It's, it's, it's nearly in, inhumane, you know. It's, it's so wrong and... Well, we don't seem to have our we don't seem to have our mind on the job. You, we're, our mind um, when I'm talking politically is all about. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to be here to criticise, but it tends to be that sort of way that politics has developed, and and it's developed that they talk about themselves because they want to stay in power. Whereas there are a whole lots of jobs to. There are a whole lot of jobs. Um, to do, and I heard Clinton talk once about public service, and and if you, that's what you do, and that's what you're doing there. That's what you, you're, that's your job. You're in there for public service, and you need to talk to people on the ground, people like you, people like farmers. You hear them here every morning. You know, people ringing up with all sorts of good ideas and and trying to help, and 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 governments need to facilitate that because really, it's all about it's all about having a healthy, happy economy, isn't it? Well, it is, but unfortunately, politicians are more interested in staying in power than helping the helping the people they're supposed to be helping. And that's how it runs. I was in Canberra the other day, and I might as well have stopped home. You know, it's just a waste of space. Yeah, well, and and that's the way it's developed. I mean, it's the whole business model. I say about um, all sorts of things. The business model in music, which I used to work in, is is busted. And and the yeah. business the business model of politics just doesn't work anymore the way it's supposed to work. 
Um, I don't know why. There's lots of reasons, but um, it needs to change, and you need leadership. And and there you go, Bryony. But are you running out of money, or are you getting plenty of donations? No, to... no, we're not. We're not worried about money, mate. That's not our problem. I mean, we were criticised in the Sydney Morning Herald the other day for having too much money, but a lot of that money's been given us in 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 wills and stuff. You know, millions of dollars. There's people who. Who passed on who lived on you know, great properties in the bush and they want to keep Aussie Elvis alive because what we do out here. And so we get come under some criticism for that, but we can live with that. But look, we all, we're all volunteers, Maggie. You know, nobody gets a penny out of this. Mm. But, but look, I'd like to give our virtual psychologist number out if I could, mate, because yep. there's so many people suffering from mental, mental illness out there. It's, it's frightening, absolutely yep. frightening. Go that, for, that, that, but it's, that's 1300. Yep. Six six five two three four. Two three four. That's a, that's a free service, mate. They're talking to a psychologist when they ring up, not just a volunteer. They're talking to real doctors, and I'll be able to help them. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I've never seen the mental the mental state of probably ninety percent of the people we see is just fragile, mate. They're on the edge. And how's Nerida going? She's the power behind the throne. Meredith's the power behind the throne, mate. She's been crooked, mate. She's got a bit of a um, throat infection, but, you know, she'll survive. But she's still out there working seven days a week like we all do. And, I mean, we make we do make a lot of sacrifices. For, and we, we're not asking for any accolades or anything. We do it because we want to do it. Brian, keep up the good work. I hope to see you soon. Um, if I can hitch a ride on a plane sometime, I'll come up and see you. Do you need, do you need volunteers uh, for your work? Because... No, not, not, not so much volunteers, mate. You know, it's, we need we need money to yeah, provide feed and, and water and stuff like that's what that's what our big costs are. You know, our psychological service costs us half a million bucks a year, but you know we've we've got to pay for those things. And, mm. and look, they're important. We've got to look after the people, mate. You know, you know the story, mate. If these people leave the, leave their farms, and I estimate in New South Wales, there'd probably be at least twenty percent of people leave after this drought. And once once you lose all that generational expertise, it yeah. never comes back. Well, exactly, you exactly. I, I remember a, a bloke rang a couple of weeks or months ago. And we were talking. I think we were talking about Brussels sprouts, and he had all this information. and And I just thought, look at that bloke. He's done that all his life. He just knows what he's doing. He knows all about that, how to grow food and how to do it well. And it's uh, he's not doing it anymore, you know. And he's not doing it anymore. And and you lose. You're exactly right. You lose that expertise. It's it, you know you can't you can't learn how to be a farmer in five minutes. You've got to you know it's it's the smell of the soil. And no, as a bloke said to me once, it you just know you know when it's time to harvest. You know when it's time to plant. It's the smell of the soil. And he said you just yeah. you just know and and you just. And, uh, and Mac, the, the trickle down effect of that is the country towns, which are slowly dying. So no business from farmers. Yeah. You know, the, the local mechanic doesn't get any business because they can't afford to get their car fixed. Yeah. We we have to even come up with money to pay for all those things. And I'm like, people want to help us. All they've got to do is go to our website and they can donate whatever they like. You know, it's just AussieHelpers.org.au. But but honestly, I mean, this this is something which our federal government and state government should have been doing something 12 months ago. Mm. You know, they've just let it get out of control. And Brian, um, as I said, I'd love to see you sometime. Say good day to Nerida for me, um, and uh, yeah, I'll be in 
to see you as soon as I can, mate. Keep up the good work. Go and have a cup of tea. Go on. All right, all right champion. My voice is buggered, you know, that I've been... It's just full of dust and flies, mate. Stop, stop talking. See you, Brian. I will. Thanks, Macca. Bye, mate. Bye.